We finished up Hebrews chapter 9 last last week. We are on Hebrews chapter 10. Last week we are looking at the spiritual principle. We had the sacrifice of the bulls, the lambs, and so forth. And the power that they had to deal with the sin problem came because of faith that people had in the one that was to come. So it was faith in the one that was to come that was bringing the power to the uh, sacrifice of the bulls, even though the sacrifice of the bulls could not deal with sin by themselves. Anything done on earth without faith in the associated promise may look like the real thing, but is only ritual and powerless. And that was the end result there of Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to go over here to Hebrews chapter 10. In verse 1, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered. For the worshippers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. So not possible. is uh, God obviously knew when he was starting this with the, with the blood of bulls and goats that it wasn't possible for them to, to deal with the sin problem. Now the law as he starts out here is only a shadow of good things to come. Not the very image. So the law is a mere shadow. A shadow is, is of course, you have the, the real person and then you have the shadow. Well, the shadow is just basically an outline, and that outline can be altered depending upon where the light source is. So it's never accurate, but it's always the shadow of that person. Their, their shape and so forth would be altered by the, by the shadow. The law is a shadow of good things to come. So before in chapter 9, we had the tabernacle, which is a copy of good things to come, or the tabernacle that would be in heaven. So the law is a shadow of good things to come, just as the tabernacle is a mere copy we put in your outline. The shadow of things to come can never bring us to perfection. And that word there, perfection, means completeness, or to make perfect, complete, finish, accomplish, bring to completion. The very fact that they were constantly offered is all the proof that you need. So the fact that you had to keep coming daily and uh, weekly and yearly and be offering these sacrifices shows you that they were inadequate. Otherwise, you don't keep coming there and and doing the thing. Then he goes on here in verse 5. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Now, this is a quote from the Old Testament. Anybody see the post on Facebook beside Rashawn? I saw Trina up there too, but she's not in the room here. So outside of that, I saw those two folks saw that. This is a quote from Psalms chapter 40, but it's extremely blaring in that the writer of Hebrews completely altered one of the, one of the sentences. So let me read it for you in, in both again. Sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. That's how Hebrews reads that. In Psalms, it reads this way. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. So that's how, that's the verse he was quoting. My ears you have opened. But the writer of Hebrews has turned this into, um, but a body you have prepared for me. All right, now maybe you can get one word and maybe it goes a couple of different ways, but we're looking at the entire sentence structure being different. 
ears, body. I don't think there's the same Hebrew word for both of those. Uh, prepared, pierced. It's, it's completely different. So why is it that the writer of Hebrews alters this verse and still puts it in as, it's, as if it's a quote? And you could go to, you know, some critics of Scripture will look at this and say, well, here's a blaring discrepancy. How can you quote from the Old Testament and you only get the quote right? But, obviously that's not exactly what is, has gone on here. Let's find out what is, what is, uh, what is happening. Therefore, when he came into the world, when Jesus came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices. For sin you have had no pleasure. Now, some of the uh, history on this is in the Old Testament. Let me read this uh, scripture for you. Over in Exodus chapter 21. In Exodus chapter 21, we're going to start reading in verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free and pay nothing. So if you bought a servant, and doesn't really deal with why he was being bought and so forth, but it's a Hebrew so it's one of your brethren. And if you buy one as a servant, six years he's going to serve as a servant. On the seventh year, he goes free. But he puts some restrictions in here. If he comes in by himself, he shall go out by himself. So if you bought him as a servant, and he was the only one, he didn't come in as, you didn't buy a family, you just bought him. You didn't have a wife, you didn't buy both, you just, just him. If he came in by himself, he goes out by himself. Is what he's, what he's saying. If he comes in by himself, he should go out by himself. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. So he had no right to, the, the owner did, had no right to keep a, a break of a family. So if he was married and he was sold as a slave, uh, and it doesn't get into all the reasons why, <laughs> I don't know all the reasons why that they would have, uh, they would have done that. But if they did, uh, they both go out. If they came in with a family, the whole family goes. Now he goes on to say this. If his master has given him a wife and she has borne him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. So if the servant came in and he came in by himself and the master had other servants and the two of them took a fancy to each other or they decided, you know, you need a wife to have a family and he just gave them whatever the reason was. If he got married and the wife that he married was met as one of the uh, people that's also a servant to this master, then he has a choice to make. He can either uh, go out and be free in the seventh year unless he wants to stay with his wife and his family. So if you got a wife and they had a couple of kids in the six years, you can have, you know, oh, you can get a wife, you can get a kid or two. And he, what the Bible is saying is, if you want to go free, you have to leave all them behind. Got to leave the wife and the kids behind, and you can go free. But if you want to stay with the with the wife and the children, he goes on. But if he but if the servant plainly says, "I love my master, my wife, and my children," I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to the judges, and he shall bring him to the door. Or to the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. Yeah, it doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? 
Because, I mean, it's, I saw pictures of this. It, it was not anything that was good looking. Um, it was a pretty decent size awl and big, big nail is what it looked like to me. Uh, not a little nail that you're putting into the wall. It's a, it's a big one. It's making a hole. And you would take that and you'd just pound that in there and pierce the guys. And I don't know if anything else was put in there to maintain the, the hole or anything like that, but that's what you would do. You would bang on the, on that and, and pierce it. And that's, that would be marked him. He would be marked forever that, uh, he was not a bought slave. He is one who decided, I want to stay in this, uh, matter. I like my master. I like the, having the family here. So I'm going to stay in this. And if he does that, he is bound forever. Otherwise he can walk free after seven years. So basically you walk around with a hole in your ear. Is what you, uh, what you get done doing. Now the, the verse here in Psalms, says this, sacrifices and offerings you did not desire, my ears you have opened. Literally, you have uh, you have dug my ear. Or some portions put it this way, my ear you have digged. The reference is to this procedure that you would do for, for a servant who decided, I want to stay a servant. And And you would be, you're voluntarily doing this, and you would become the servant for the rest of the rest of the time. In the New Testament, you'll see this a lot of times called bond servant. That you have decided to become a servant. And uh, Paul would often refer himself to this. He's a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Because he has decided to uh, to take on that lifestyle and to be you know, have Jesus as his master. He loves his master. And he wants to be a servant forever. So that's where that would come in. Now, why has it changed so much? In the New Testament, when Hebrews quotes this, because what what happens is when Jesus comes to this point, and he he decides, I am not going to go free. I am going to be a servant and serve in this capacity of high priest, serve in this capacity in my father's house, serve in this capacity for mankind. Instead of having his ear pierced, something else happened to Jesus. And this is what he's referring to and why the writer of Hebrews takes liberties at this. So he says, but if us, um, let's read over five and six again. Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So the sacrifice we were doing, that's not what God desired. They were doing it, but that's not what he desired. But a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin. You had no pleasure. Verse seven. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. What was the will of God for Jesus? The whole purpose of him coming to the earth, and of course in the context of all these things we've been reading into into, uh, Hebrews, is all about Christ as the lamb, the sacrifice. So it's all about him dying. It's the whole context. He spent quite a bit of time building this whole thing up for this this particular part of the context. He's here to do the will of God, which is to become the sacrifice. So when Jesus came on the earth, he did not die as a, as God. He died as man. And we're going to see, he's actually going to refer to that in a little bit. He came to, to earth and took on a human body. He has been on the earth before as an angel, but as an angel, 
you can't die for humanity. Because first off, you're an angel. And secondly, angels don't die. It's people who die. It wasn't intended to be that way. But when Adam and Eve sinned, then death came into the garden and people could die. So therefore, Jesus had to take on a body in order for him to be able to die. When Jesus died on the cross, his physical body ceased to exist. And he went to hell. We covered that part of it, the the spiritual death and the physical death. When he came back, what was the body he was in? He has a glorified, resurrected body. He's the only one who's got one. Every single other person in heaven does not have a glorified, resurrected body yet. They will be getting one, but they don't have one yet. They are spirit beings in heavenly places. But Jesus Christ is the only one who's in heaven and has a reborn, recreated body. It is a, it is a body. What this verse is saying and why it has completely changed it. In the Old Testament, if a, if a servant decided to become a lifelong servant, of the master, their ear was pierced. There was a forever mark put on that one that you could always say, Oh, this is a servant forever. This is because of the mark that's on the ear. It's not really easy to cover it up. You could tell that. But with Jesus, instead of putting the mark on the ear, the mark is his body that he took on a, a resurrected body. Now imagine this. Jesus is God. What restriction does God have as far as where they can be? None. God is in all places at all times. But when Jesus took on a resurrected body, what happens to Jesus? That resurrected body is in how many places at one time? It's in one place, which is seated at the right hands of the Father. Making intercession for us, ministering for us as a, as a priest, but only making one sacrifice. That mark that forever, forever marks him as being the one who was our sacrifice is the physical resurrected body that he took on. We look at it as, a, as wow, what a great thing this is going to be when I get a resurrected body. But for Jesus, it was a downgrade. Jesus took on a downgrade and that's the mark that he took to do the will of the Father, that he would forever be seen. Every time we look on Jesus, there's that resurrected body. That tells us that he became uh, the servant of God in this area of ministry, in this area of priesthood, and he did that forever. He did it willingly. He didn't have to. Do you ever wonder why God put all those rules in there about servants and so forth in the Old Testament? It led right up to what Jesus did. So he says, Behold, I have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. He takes away the first covenant to establish the second. By that we will, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. It was the body of Christ that was sacrificed. 
It was the body of Christ that was put on the cross. It was the body of Christ that bled. And it was the body of Christ that was beaten. Now this word here, by that we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Christ once once for all. Yeah, okay, there's my... I thought I made a notation on this. So it says, we have been sanctified. This is actually in the perfect tense. The perfect tense combines past and present together. Um, I'm told no other language has this. It is it is just in the Greek. I don't know that because I know all the other languages. I am I just know that because people have told me that that's uh, apparently the case. English, we have past tense, we have present tense, we have future tense. But Greek, what they did was they took one tense and they combined the past and the present. They called it the perfect. So what you have is something that happened in the past that has continuing ongoing results in the present and ongoing in the future. That is the tense they have. They have that all wrapped up into one tense. We have to use words to describe that. Greek didn't have to do it. They could just put that all into the one tense in the perfect tense. Uh, one of the best ones we know for this perfect tense is Ephesians 2, 8, 9. You all can probably quote that. For by grace have you been saved through faith. Have been saved. Having been saved in the past, a completed action, having continual and ongoing results. Glory to God for that, huh? Now, this is also in the passive. So it's in the perfect tense, but it's also in the passive. So if you have a, you know this from English, English class. If you have a passive verb, then the one who's who's being described is the recipient of the action. They're not the doer of the action. If it was an action verb, then the person, the subject of the sentence would be the one doing it. In other words, you know, when John throws the ball, it's John who throws the ball. If you want to put that in a passive, if John received the ball, the ball was thrown to John. That's he's he's in a receptive area. He's in a passive tense, not an active. This is in the uh, passive tense in that we did not save ourselves. Christ did it. We received it. So all, all that is done simply in intense voice and mood of the of the word here for sanctify. By that we have been sanctified. Now notice though it's translated as the past tense here for us. By by that we will have been I'm not, I can read that right yet. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So one sacrifice, all people are affected. Not before we had many sacrifices and they had to keep being repetitively done. So this is a passive voice. Jesus coming as an angel would not work. He needed to come as a man for humanity to die for them. Verse 11. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Now look at the contrast here. Verse 12. But this man, speaking of Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. So the priests of the Old Testament, the priests of the of the uh, house of Aaron, Daily, we're constantly, look at the wording here, and every priest stands ministering daily. When you ministered as a priest, you stood up. You were walking. You were, there was no sitting. You were walking. You were doing things. But Jesus, as our high priest, but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of, the, of God. Look at the contrast. The other priest 
constantly, when in her ministry, constantly standing, constantly doing the same sacrifices, day in and day out, every day, every week, every month, every year, doing the same sacrifices over and over. Jesus, one sacrifice, one time, once for all, sat down at the right hand of the Father. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. Now, that's a real fun verse right there. He's waiting for the enemies to be made his footstool, which means they aren't done just yet. Now, think of it this way. If you are watching a sporting event, and I can't think of anything else but but sporting events, and it doesn't have to be something like a professional football team. It may be a sporting event in which your son, daughter, granddaughter, grandson are involved. If someone that you love is involved in that sporting event, you are there, you are cheering on that sporting event, even if you don't care about that particular thing. If they're in soccer, if they're in basketball, if they're in lacrosse, whatever it is they're in, you go and you watch them and you cheer. And the, as you stand there and as something good is happening, how many people sit there for the whole game? If you got your little son or daughter in the game, are you sitting there watching the game? No, what do you do? You're standing up because you're getting excited. Either, you know, they're losing and we need you to, to get going and we stand up and we cheer them on or they're winning and you're excited and you stand up and you cheer them on. What's Jesus doing? Sitting down. You know when you can sit down? When you're watching the game on record. You already know the outcome. You know, many times I have to watch the Eagles game on record because things going on here at church and stuff like that. So I don't get to go home and watch the game right at one o'clock. So I have to hit the record button and set it on up. So when sometime when I get home, but by the time I get home, I generally already know what the outcome is. So if I already know the outcome, now there's two ways this, this can go. One, they lost the game and generally I'm not interested in watching it. That's just the way that it goes. I don't feel like sitting there watching a losing game. I already know the outcome. But if they won the game, I want to sit there and watch it. But you just kind of sit there and you watch it. You don't get tense. You don't get overly excited. You You just watch the game. Well, I already know what happens here. Well, the score is 20 to 14. So um you can kind of figure out what kind of stuff is going to happen. or You just kind of sit there and watch it. Jesus already knows the outcome. So he's just sitting back watching the enemies be put at the foot. It's like the game is already decided. He already knows the outcome. He's already seen the, already seen the, um, recording, so to speak. So he's sitting. But again, the priest stands ministering daily, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies were made his footstool. So every priest stands daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. But Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for all sins, sits. Just takes a seat, sits down. There's no tension. Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are what? Being sanctified. Why is it that four verses earlier we have been sanctified and now we are being sanctified? We're in the same passage of Scripture here. It's not like he lost sight of what he was talking about. 
One place we have been sanctified. Perfect tense here. It's not the perfect tense anymore. For by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Isn't that interesting? Well, not not only is Christ's sacrifice superior in that it was once for all, so too is the sanctification superior, superior in that it is done done once. Here's the the sanctification is done once, one time, and your spirit man is sanctified, but not your body and your soul. That is a daily sac. That is a daily sanctification. So it is done once and for all of your spirit, your body and soul. It's ongoing. So when you see sanctification as described in the Word of God as an ongoing process, what it has in mind is either your body or your soul, your mind. When it talks about a once and for done, having continued forever um, consequences, uh, effects, it's talking about your spirit. So don't get it confused. Sanctification of the spirit is once and for all. Sanctification of the body and the soul, your mind, that's an ongoing thing. But because of the sanctification of your spirit, you can sanctify your soul and your body. Verse 15. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Now look at this. You can you can skip right by this and, and miss this. When you see this uh let's go back to yeah, verse fifteen. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them. This is the covenant that I will make with him. What covenant now don't answer this out loud. Just think about it. What covenant is he talking about? Is he talking about the new covenant that came after Jesus Christ died on the cross? See, this is why you can read right by this and, and miss it. This is the covenant that I will make with them after what? What are the days that he's, he's referring to? Go back here to verse 11. And after, and every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. But the, but the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Now you look at the last part of that and that would seem to refer to this time frame, doesn't it? Except for the fact that it's after the days of the enemies being made the footstool. Are the enemies of Jesus Christ made his footstool? No. When are they made his footstool? Come on, Revelations class people. After the tribulation. And when he comes, his enemies are made his footstool. So the covenant that this is speaking about comes after the tribulation. Not now. Well, why is it not now? Are we not in a new covenant? 
We got a new covenant when Jesus Christ died on the cross. And we are partakers of that new covenant because we no longer are making sacrifices on a daily basis, are we? And Jesus Christ is our high priest. He did the Father making ministry for us. Isn't that right? And that's because of the new covenant that we're in. If we are in a new covenant, why is he talking about another new covenant? <laughs> why do we need? Are we having a third covenant coming up? So I'm going to try and describe this to you the best that I can as I, as I ponder, ponder this whole thing. I don't know if I left this in your outline for you or not, but the present day covenant is not with Israel, but the Gentiles to cause Israel to return. The covenant that we are in right now is not made with Israel. We are not in a covenant made of the house of Israel. We are made in a covenant with whom? God has made it with, Old Testament continually talks about this, the Gentiles. Because Israel kept playing the harlot. And so he said, I am going to seek after another and provoke you to jealousy that you would come back. And when you go back into the book of Daniel, Daniel said, 70 weeks are determined for your people. How many of those weeks have gone? 69 of those weeks, we've got to pause. The pause between the 69th and 70th week is the Gentile age in which the covenant is cut with the Gentiles, which still the Jewish people have access to. But in order for the Jewish people to have access or take advantage of the covenant, they must come to Jesus, not through the sacrifices. They can't get there through the old way of accessing the covenant. They have to come through Jesus. If they refuse, then that covenant is closed to them. But all who come must come through Jesus. This is the way into the new covenant. But this is the covenant for the Gentiles and for which we now have the church age, which the church age is the time frame between the 69th and 70th week. Once the church age is pulled out, that covenant is closed. And now we embark upon the 70th week of Daniel. Upon finishing the 70th week of Daniel... The writer of Hebrews tells us, I am going to cut with you a new covenant. This is the covenant that is cut with the house of Israel, not the Gentile church. Does that make sense to you? This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. And those days haven't come yet. So it can't be referred to anything going on today. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Because right now the laws, they look at the things that are written and not the things that are on their heart. Verse 17. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now we, we spent some time on this before. Does God forget, forgive and forget? We're not going to get into all that part of it. He's not going to hold this against them anymore. He's not going to remember this against them. Those sins won't be, won't be, won't be there. Now where there is remission of these, the, the sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. So if there is remission, and this word could also be translated forgiveness, or a better way to look at it is separation, that you have been separated from your sins. And one part of the word of God talks about as far as the east is from the west. You have been separated. So if you have been separated, if you have been forgiven, if remission is is uh, brought in for for your sins... There is no longer an offering for sin. 
So if I bring an offering for sin, what am I doing? I am saying that there is no remission of sins. If I bring an offering of sins for my sins, I am saying there is no remission. Now, here's one of the things that the enemy likes to do. Satan loves to get people to make sacrifices for their sins. And don't think you have been above this. <laughs> I think we've all come in, into this. We've, we've given into a sin over and over and over again. We feel remorseful. We feel bad. And the idea comes to us, God, I am sorry. If you will forgive me of this sin, I will do, I will give up. I will, st- well, we make a deal. I'm bringing something to the altar. I'm going to sacrifice something. You see, if the enemy can get you to do that, he gets you into a place where the remission of sins is no longer valid in your life. Oh, don't do that. What do we need for the forgiveness of sins? The blood of Jesus Christ is all we need. Which is why he set up the Last Supper and why once a month we go through communion to remind us that there is the body, which is for the healing, and there is the blood, which is for the forgiveness. Because he knew we would forget it. Because as often as we go through and we do this, people still try and add penance. They still try and add things to uh, just asking for forgiveness. If I add this, then maybe I will be forgiven. If I do this, if I stop doing that, then I will be forgiven. But here he states very clearly, where there is remission of these, or where there is remission of these sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. I do not have to bring anything in an offering for sin. I just need to accept what Jesus Christ has done as far as an offering for sin is concerned. So there is no offering. If there is an offering, if somebody is bringing an offering, there is a failure on one side. It's either on the side that grants or gives the forgiveness or it's on the side that receives it. How many think that God's going to come short on his end? No, so the shortness comes on our side. Now, when we get into the end times, into that tribulation period, they will restart the sacrifices and the offerings. And what does that tell you? They've rejected the remission of sins through Jesus Christ. It's the only way that you can bring that back in. But the writer of Hebrews here is trying to tell them about these things. And he does quite a, he is, he is very thorough. Sometimes you might be saying, I got this down. I got this. <laughs> but he is being very, very thorough. And what is exciting about this is, um, even though this might seem a little uh, dry at points or repetitive at times, this is all context for Hebrews chapter 11. We all love Hebrews chapter 11. Faith chapter. All the faith people. Folks, this is what comes behind it. He's spending time on this because somehow all this stuff affects what happens in Hebrews chapter 11. Because that's what's coming up next. Not not immediately next, but <laughs> I have to finish chapter 10. But that's what comes. That's what he's leading into. And you can see how methodical the author of Hebrews is. Very slowly making the case for every single point and showing all through the Old Testament where this where this comes. What's he leading to? How does all this tie into the great faith chapter that we all love so much? And that's what we're, we're going to be spending some time getting into. 
But isn't it interesting the way he completely changed the quote from Psalms? Because the reason he could do it is because he understood what God was saying. And he reworded it in light of what Jesus has done. I thought that was amazing. That the, this whole Old Testament thing of the slaves being able to, servants being able to say, I'm going to be a servant, a slave for, for life. Because I like you and I want to be here with my wife and I want to be here with my kids. And I, I like this life and I'm just going to stay with this. And instead of the piercing of the ear, of course he got his hands pierced and his sides pierced and his feet pierced. But beside that he took on a body. And that body will forever bear the scars from what we're told. Of the nails in his hands and his feet and the sword in his side. And one who didn't have the limitations that even a resurrected body would put on him willingly took that on as a mark to say, God, I submitted to your will and I desire to be a servant in this ministry of yours forever. Hmm. What an awesome picture the writer of Hebrews paints for us. Father, we thank you for such a great plan of salvation for us at a cost that was great. Not only the life of Jesus, not only the time he spent here on earth, the beating that he took, the sacrifice on the cross, but from that point on, he took on a resurrected body and the limitations compared to what he had before. Wow. All because of his love for us. Father, we thank you that we benefit from such great love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.